the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. How valuable are you? I mean, what kind of price would we put on your head, as it were? What kind of price does God place on your head? What will a man pay in exchange for life? Let's explore those questions next here on Walk Through the Word. Hi there. Welcome to another installment of Walk Through the Word, the daily time of Bible study and application brought to you by North Creek Church. Our pastor and teacher, Kent Dresdo, is navigating our way through the book of Exodus. Today, we're going to continue a survey through chapter 13, where we find more examples of God's mighty hand at work and his heart for the children of Israel and, by proxy, his heart for you and I as well today. Here's Pastor Kent now with today's broadcast of Walk Through the Word. Chapter 13, verse 2. Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Set them apart for me. Sanctify them. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. It belongs to me. In fact, that's the first thing we want to see here about this law of the firstborn that's to be observed into perpetuity in the people of Israel's experience in life is that the firstborn son belonged to the Lord. And you can see the obvious parallel to the 10th plague, to God's salvation, to the Exodus. I mean, the reason for the Exodus was provided by God before the Exodus even began, before the first plague even hit. Back in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. Turn back there with me in God's word. Exodus 4, verse 22. And you'll see God gives the reason why he's going to move through the plagues and why he's going to bring about the Exodus. Then you will say to Pharaoh, God speaking to Moses, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve, worship me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So you see, the plagues were all about the firstborn son. Whose firstborn son will win? Everything about the plagues is about the firstborn son. So it's not surprising that when they leave the, the, the time of the plagues and they move out into the Exodus, that God is still about the firstborn son. After all, the Exodus was God's redemption of his firstborn son. And so to help them never forget their amazing position as sons of God, he gave them this tradition of the firstborn son. Isn't that kind of God? Here is a rite, a ritual, a tradition, a law that has this as its end. Never forget that you are my son. And what person doesn't love to hear that continually echo in their ear every time this happens in the land of Israel. Every time a new family gets started with a son, every time there's to be a reminder again that God wants to tell his people, you are my son and not just one son. You are my firstborn son. 
a reminder of their precious position, a treasured possession of the Almighty God. I mean, what a privilege this right would have been, this law would have been to keep. But what a responsibility too. Because God wants to use this tradition to remind each and every family who bears a son that that firstborn son doesn't belong to them. That son belongs to the Lord. Why? Because they belong to him in the first place. Not just the son, but the parents too. Because the parents are part of a home and the home is part of a clan and the clan is part of a tribe and the tribe is part of a nation and the nation is part of a people who are God's firstborn son. They are all firstborn sons. And so as a result of that, when God grants a family, a firstborn son, that son belongs to the Lord. Why? Because they all belong to the Lord. Now you should know that the firstborn back then in this time frame represented a special place in the family. That's true. They represented the other children, actually. They kind of stood in the place of representation of the other children in the home, including girls. So girls, you're not out of view here. You're just represented by the oldest son. He represented the whole, kind of like the captain does on a basketball team. Now the same principle plays out with a Hebrew family's crops as well. The first fruits of every crop belong to God too. Why? Because the crops belong to God altogether. We're going to see that later in the book of Exodus. I'm just highlighting to you that the firstborn and the first fruits are actually getting out the same thing. It all belongs to God. We are to give to the Lord, if you're one of God's people back then, the representative of the entire family. So the first thing we want to see about the firstborn son and the law concerning it is that they belong to the Lord. And I hope if you're a mom and a dad, you're listening very intently because we're moving. The text is moving closer and closer to you. It's moving, staying grounded in the context of the time in which it was written and the audience to whom it was written. But you can already tell that it's fingering out by the spirit's power into your life. Can't you? And we'll make that explicit, but right now it's strongly implicit, isn't it? A second dynamic of this law skips ahead now to the second half of the legislation, which is found in verses 12, which is that the the firstborn sons were to be passed over to the Lord, passed over to the Lord. In fact, the word in the ESV in verse 12, you shall set apart to the Lord, is found in the NASB to say devoted to the Lord. Same word in the Hebrew means to pass over to the Lord. And totally pun intended. I love that, man. It's so great. A verbal wordplay is in play right here. As their firstborn sons were passed over by the Lord in the 10th plague, so now the firstborn already passed over to the Lord for his service. Isn't that so great? I love that, man. So great. I geek out on this kind of stuff. The firstborn sons were passed over by the Lord to be saved. And now the firstborn to be passed over to the Lord to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be consecrated, given to him. And isn't that what sanctification means? Given over to God. Pass them to God. By the way, the term pass over would carry a lot of freight once God's people entered Canaan. Archaeologically, did you know in the ancient world, the epicenter for child sacrifice across the known world at this time was found in the land of Canaan. 
And do you want to know what particular child was passed through the flames or literally the, the language was passed over the flames? Do you want to know what particular child was offered over the flames to the gods most often in the land of Canaan at this time? The firstborn son. What's God doing here? He's telling the people of Israel before they ever even get to the land of promise, which will become to them a land of temptation too, that they are never to give into that. That is an abomination because the son who's born first belongs to the Lord, not to that God. And the Lord is a Lord of life. He's not a Lord of death. And so from day one in stop one in Sukkoth in this shelter place, they are being prohibited from committing an atrocity that will shortly confront them in the land of promise in just one generation. God's people were never to take a child's life. They were to fight for life and commend that life to the Lord to pass their child's life over to the Lord instead of over to the flames. But how that passing over to the Lord was to happen is not stated here. It's just acknowledged in a word in verse 13. Now, verse 13 is the weird verse of the whole section. Every firstborn of a donkey, you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons, you shall redeem. Wait, what? Why are we bringing in a donkey right here? Verse 13. And why is a donkey and the firstborn son being connected together? Well, I'll let you answer that question for yourself. Because maybe there's a relationship between the donkey and the firstborn son. My firstborn son's in the room and I'm looking at him right now and he's actually shaking his head. He knows the relationship, but you can make your own relationship determination in your own family. The relationship that's supposed to be made biblically is that uh, a donkey is an unclean animal and unclean animals were to be redeemed with a clean animal. They had to be redeemed. They had to have their uncleanness paid for by another clean animal who didn't have to be made clean. And so the clean animal in this case was a lamb and a lamb had to shed his blood for the unclean animal. By the way, it might be safe to assume that the blood of the lamb had to be shed for the firstborn son to be redeemed as well. You might make that assumption here, in which case you have a playing up of the blood of the lamb. Once again, the playing up of substitutionary atonement, but actually for our purposes, We know that they had to be the sons. We'll move away from the donkey. The son at the end of verse 13 had to be redeemed. You could not break the neck of your firstborn son, right? We just got done talking about not killing your firstborn son. And we're thankful for that. But the, the firstborn son had to be redeemed. They could be redeemed in one of two ways. Number one, as you look at future occurrences of this law, they could be redeemed with the payment of a price. Numbers chapter 18, it says the price to be paid is five shekels according to the shekel of the, of the sanctuary. And that's shekel, those five shekels would be paid at the tabernacle or later at the temple. And that would redeem the firstborn son's life. A price had to be paid. Or the second way to redeem the son is to give them to the Lord. Think Hannah. Remember when Hannah had Samuel? And Hannah is said to give her son to the Lord. That is another way to redeem your firstborn son, to give them to the Lord. And so that is one of two ways that the son, the firstborn son could be redeemed, redeemed with the payment of a price or redeemed by dedicating them to the Lord. Now, why are we spending so much time on verse 13? Because this verse 
This verse is part and parcel of the good news of the gospel. This little verse here helps explain why Mary and Joseph took their firstborn son to the temple in Jerusalem all those years ago. Luke 2.22 says this about Jesus, their firstborn son. And when the time came for their purification, Mary and Joseph, according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. That's in reference to this law of the firstborn son. Joseph and Mary knew what the law required, and they were obeying this exact law when they took baby Jesus up into the temple. I think that's super cool because it makes this weird verse the verse, the verse in this passage. Joseph and Mary paid the redemption price for Jesus. And notice, not because he needed to be redeemed. He was perfect. He, didn't, he was not unclean. He was clean. He didn't need to be redeemed. He was the redeemer. But why did Jesus get redeemed? Well, remember what was said about Jesus upon his baptism, where John says, I, 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 you shouldn't be being baptized by me. I, I, you should be baptizing me. I shouldn't be baptizing you, John the Baptist said. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Go ahead and do it. So that, remember this, all righteousness might be fulfilled. Jesus was living his life so that he could fulfill every law. Loaded with significance is the moment then when Joseph and Mary pass over their firstborn son to God in the temple. So deeply poignant is the moment when Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, in keeping God's law, dedicates Jesus to Jesus' heavenly father. Astonishing is the moment to consider that Jesus is fulfilling the law as a baby in Exodus 13, 13. As an infant in this redemption rite, Jesus is actively keeping the law of God. Perfectly keeping it for you and for me. The fulfillment of this law is the gospel that saves you and me in his life and obedience. From the manger to the cross to the resurrection, to the ascension, to the session, to the soon return of Christ, Jesus has always only ever been dedicated to saving his people from their sins by actively keeping the law for us that we could never keep for ourselves. He, as an infant, was dedicated to your salvation and mine. Praise the Lord for verse 13. So significant is verse 13 that God says also, you are to teach your children about this. The firstborn sons to be taught this. This consecration or dedication of the firstborn son must have impacted each and every Hebrew family as it happened to them. Because here was a newly forged family and home with a little baby boy. And suddenly they needed to focus on redeeming him. On buying him back from the Lord with a redemption price. By means of a substitute. By means of a payment. The son God gave them was to be, in a sense, given back to him. God knew that this ritual would provoke a child's natural inborn curiosity, especially the firstborn son, who upon learning about what had to happen to redeem his life, would more than likely ask, why did you do that for me? And whenever a little child would ask about the redemption right, verse 14, parents are to go back to God's great work of salvation. They're to go back to God's great work of salvation. 
and retell the old, old story of how God saved his people from out of their bondage. In other words, the firstborn son law would have an impact on Hebrew children for centuries to come. And God wanted parents to be reminded that their children were not their own and to remind their children that they are not their own. They have been bought with a price. This seems to be the essence of the law of the firstborn son. You see that at the end. Look at verse 15. But all the firstborn of my sons, I redeem. This law was to be observed continually, verse 16, so that Israel might be continually reminded that their firstborn sons, and insofar as their firstborn son stands as a representative for all of their children, they might be continually reminded that all of their children belong to the Lord, especially the firstborn son representative, and that therefore they are to be given to the Lord, and that therefore they are to be redeemed by the Lord, for the Lord. I mean, this is begging for application, isn't it? To your life and to mine. Begging for it. You know, one way that we remind ourselves in the church today of this same concept is through family child dedication. You know, we were supposed to have a family child dedication this next Sunday on Mother's Day. You, you know how that, how that Sunday goes, right? It's, it's hard for some people, I think, I know. And Mother's Day compounded with child dedication. I, and it's good for us and appropriate to remember that because it's an occasion for us to acknowledge it to say that we are so for single women and so for moms who have not yet had children, who have not had children. And if that's where you're at, then you know our heart for you and, and even my wife's in my heart for you and our prayer for you. But Mother's Day has this kind of tradition in our, in our church where we stand a bunch of families up who have just had children and we, we ask them to dedicate themselves as parents to the Lord and their children as well. We're not able to do that virtually this next Sunday. And we're going to have a major logjam of dedications. We're going to have to do like, you know, communion, dedications, baptism. We might throw a memorial service in on a Sunday just to make everything happen. It's just, we've got a lot of stuff going on. But, but the concept here is what's important, that moms and dads are presenting their children before the church, allow, acknowledging before the body of Christ their total dependence on God for not just the raising of the child, but for the saving of the child, Lord willing. They're acknowledging we are completely dependent on the grace of God in Christ. We want a purpose to live in such a way as moms and dads that we are bleeding the word of God and the truth of God's word into our home, that we are going to make the proclamation of the gospel central in our conversations so that our children might respond by faith with the gift that the spirit gives them and live for Christ all the days of their life. There's a lot bound up in those moments. I love that moms are... <laughs> they dress up all their kids and they're like kind of quietly, desperately clinging on as the pastor's talking about what dedication means and, and hoping that the baby doesn't fall apart or start crying or whatever. And nobody cares. Actually, everybody loves it when it happens, but not the mom. I love that the mom is always just a little bit more snapped to attention in that moment. And um, it's so much fun to watch that. But you know, the other aspect of a family child dedication is to remind the church and each mom and dad that that little baby that they're holding ultimately does not belong to them. And they need to be reminded of that because it's so easy for us as parents to subtly start to think that our children belong to us. And then when they don't perform for us, 
or then when they don't meet our desires or preferences as parents, we get angry or we grumble or we despair or we complain against God. But the principle from this passage is helpful to fight that temptation. The firstborn son representing all of the children gives us encouragement here to remember, to, to, to say again about your children what God's word says about your children, which is this. Look back at your outline, which is to say this. Moms and dads, remember this. Your child and children belong to the Lord, number one. Number two, your child and children should be given to the Lord. They should be dedicated to him. Number three, your child and children hopefully will be, by God's grace, redeemed to the Lord, by the Lord. And number four, your child should be taught all of this by you. They will not learn this on their own. Moms and dads, they will learn this from you. Parents, your children do not exist for your benefit. They have been given to you by the Lord. Give them back to the Lord. Some of you are maybe even idolizing your children, hanging on to them too tightly. Give them back to the Lord. They belong to him. And you must teach them that they exist not for themselves and they don't even exist for you. They exist for the Lord. You must teach them that the Lord is their salvation, that he is their redeemer. You have to teach them about what he's done in his great work of salvation, not just here in the Exodus, but most especially at the cross. You have to teach them that. And children, listen up. This is for you too. You have a job to do too, kids. You need to learn from God's word today that you belong to God, not yourself. So you should give your life to him. You should trust in Jesus to be your redeemer. There is salvation found in no one else, but in the person and work of Christ, the one who paid the price for all of your sins on the cross, all of them. God did not give you, if you're a child, God did not give you your life for you to live for your own mere pleasure. You were made for God's pleasure. And you will not find lasting joy in this life until you give your life to the one who gave it to you in the first place. The primary concern in our families, both as parents and as children, is to glorify our Redeemer who redeems his church for his glory. One final application and conclusion is simply to acknowledge this, that we should praise the Lord that Jesus Christ is the firstborn son. We love the Lord Jesus Christ for so many reasons, but add this to the list. Believers have been redeemed by Jesus, God's son, the firstborn of the father. The Bible calls him Christ, the firstborn over all creation. Colossians 1.15 calls him the firstborn from the dead. Revelation 1 verse 5 calls him the firstborn among many brothers. Romans 8.29 praise the Lord that, that God, the father did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Romans 8.32 We've been redeemed at the greatest price with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot, 1 Peter 1, 
19. Therefore, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Brothers and sisters, we who are the redeemed are a part of the church of the firstborn. Hebrews 12, 23. And as such, we don't just belong to the father. We belong to his firstborn son to Christ. Christ makes claims on you, brother and sister, and we are to follow him. What is presented before us in Exodus 13 has grown into full flower in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The God who gives us the law of the firstborn here gave us his firstborn son to fulfill this law so that we might be redeemed out from under the curse of the law and go free. So praise the Lord for Christ, the firstborn of the father and the redeemer of his people. And praise the Lord for his word this morning that calls us to remember that we as children of the heavenly father belong to him. That we are to dedicate ourselves to him. We have been redeemed by him and so desire to teach others about him in our homes, in our families, with our children. May God help us to hear and keep his word. Well, you have been listening to Walk Through the Word with Pastor Kent Dresdo, the ministry of North Creek Church here in Walnut Creek. We trust and pray that your time together with us today has been an encouragement in your walk and relationship with Christ. You can join us each weekday at this same time as Pastor Kent opens the Bible and teaches directly from God's Word. If you'd like more information about this ministry or the church that this ministry is born out of, we invite you to visit a couple of websites. The best one to go to would be our website, walkthroughtheword.com. That is walkthroughtheword.com. If you're in the greater East Bay area, you're invited to join us here at Walnut Creek as we seek to make disciples who worship God, walk in love, and witness to the world. You'll find service times on the church's website. There is a link at walkthroughtheword.com or simply log on to northcreek.org. And if you've been encouraged and blessed by the teaching today, we invite you to help support this ministry through your prayers and your prayerful giving. Simply go to our website, walkthroughtheword.com or northcreek.org. And then join us next time as we walk through the Word with Pastor Kent Dresdo. Walk Through the Word is the ministry of North Creek Church here in Walnut Creek. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.